Alright. So, while, uh, for all six of you that are watching right now, so right. far, uh, before we get kicked off, I do want to uh, let everybody know there's one day left on the uh, Nature's Gourmet Farm giveaway that we're doing. Uh, ends tomorrow, July 4th. $75 worth of grass-fed ground beef and steak. And uh, all you got to do is go to Coastal Noise Facebook, like it, and share one of the numerous uh, giveaway posts that are on there. And that stuff is amazing, incredible. Yeah, definitely recommend it. Yeah, and you've you've you know dealt with uh, Nature's Gourmet Farm quite a few times, mm -hmm. and I've been a customer of theirs for probably almost a year now, if I had to guess. But uh, it's good stuff, and also check out the podcast that the owner and operator Ben Simmons did with me. Um, he was the second to last podcast. And a very knowledgeable guy, and he's fighting a lot of battles that not a lot of people are aware of. It's crazy. Like, yeah. trying to get healthy food in Mississippi. Right. Why does that have to be so hard? Right. I know we're last in everything, but come on. He's at least trying. Yeah. Help him out. Yeah. And he's a retired colonel of, you know, 35 years, so, um, you know, he's not your average run-of-the-mill farmer. And he, no. you know, I don't know how much you've ever talked to him, you know, about what, what, he's done to get that place up and running and what he does to educate himself. But I mean, going across the country to find these self-sustaining, you know, um, grass fed, pasteurized, organic, um, good for the environment, good environmental practices. I mean, he's just gone to all these places, all the Netflix documentaries, mm -hmm. you know, that he's named and, and books that he's read and all this kind of stuff. So he's a really knowledgeable guy. And, uh, I think a long format, interview like what what we did here is is a great way to kind of find out more about him and what he's doing and, and why what he does is so important so absolutely we want to give a shout out to uh him and then also one other thing is uh gonna do a uh, podcast this sunday with um with some former employees of jim pinkston Ooh. which jim um he was on a year ago and then, uh, like a year, a uh, month later, he passed. Absolutely. Um, so, and now I'm taking guitar lessons from one of the guys who used to teach in his store. Oh. Um, and he is, has a partnership with a repair guy from Jim's store. And I brought my guitar to get, you know, repaired by him and not knowing that they're all the same. And then Jim's son is actually going to come on with us. So it's going to be uh, nice. uh, Ryan, David Knorr, and uh, Jim Pinkston's son. So that's going to happen on Sunday. And we'll probably live stream it too. We've you know, we've done our first live stream in a hot tub for the podcast <laughs> last last uh, episode. Why not, right? Why not? I mean, if you're going to live stream, why not do it with your shirt off in, in a hot tub? Exactly. Uh, I couldn't fit in the tub, so... but. You know, my guests, they, they had it covered, so props to them. But that's going on Sunday, and I just think it'll be a really interesting way to kind of uh, remember Jim and also learn more about him because I kind of thought I opened the door, you know, when he retired and that, you know, I would have more access to hear more great stuff from him and hear his life story. So so that's going on. But now we're here, and we're doing the yes, damn thing. Yes, we are. So, Let's do it. And, uh, you know, it's been a while since you and I have sat here. I think you were the first guest recorded in the studio here. was that really yeah i think so because i know you've been doing the podcast for a while before i came on it's five years this month june i wow. think it was but i was the first one in this studio yeah oh nice yeah so and that was a that was a great time mm -hmm. we got like really into some cool subjects yeah 
Yeah. So that's when you're like, hey, let's podcast. I'm like, uh, please, I'll be there. Right, right. So, and we've kind of talked about different things that we've been up to and all that, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about what, what you've been doing and, and what kind of projects you've been working on. I know your, your Rise Up organization is, is a continual work in progress. It is. So what, what have been the main you know, things in the fire as of lately? So we'll start with Rise Up because it is my... Excuse That's me. your baby. That's your heart. It's my and soul baby, there. man. It absolutely is. And I started Rise Up. It's my health initiative. I started in schools. Mm-hmm. When I first got started, for me, from the way I grew up and the things I dealt with as a kid in schools, I wanted to go in and work with health and fitness. You know, helping these kids eat healthy, exercise, and just be educated on all things I was not educated on growing up. So that was my initial focus, and. We did some amazing programs. For instance, my first program we ran, uh, we did two schools. And in two schools, we ran 90-day programs. In 90 days, we had 27 teachers complete this program, this Rise Up program. And 27 teachers in three months lost a combined 290 pounds. Wow. So we, we saw the success and we saw the carryover effect of them leading by example. And the kids, you know, just being affected by that. But the more I worked in schools and the more I dealt directly with the kids and the students um, all through teenagers, I realized very quickly physical health was not the problem. It was the symptom. Mm -hmm. The real problem was mental health. And these kids right now are struggling. They're struggling in a lot of ways that we didn't grow up really seeing, you know, especially now with social media and their exposure to everything is drastically increased so they're almost seeing like a compounding effect of their problems so i'd go in you know now i go into schools and i talk to kids and just like getting the feedback from what they're going through and the problems they're seeing it literally like it just amazes me every time i go into a school and just hearing the stories of these kids and what they've dealt with what they've struggled with and the the way they're going to get help right now it's it's crazy. Like these, it just, the outlets these kids have right now for help when it comes to mental health mm-hmm. is just not working. Mm-hmm. It's really not. Like they're, they're so focused on the symptoms, they forget to address the root cause of the problem. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> I'm not going to say I'm a guru, but the effort's there. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get this program going just because there's such a need for it. Um, you know, like I said, I'm not the guru. I don't know all the, ends to child psychology and adolescent development and everything like that. But I know this, if I create enough of a movement in that direction, I can surround myself with the people that are. And that's really what I'm trying to do and just create a tribe of people that have a similar ambition to go help these kids and see if we can create some change. So how do you get involved with these schools? Do you just cold <clears throat> call them up or word of mouth? How's it go down? I mean, I'm all sure the it above. comes all, yeah, all, all different the above. Angles. I mean, for me, both my parents were educators. My mom, you know, right now is the athletic director at Long Beach. My dad was a high school football coach for my entire life. So I have a lot of connections in the schools. But at the same time, when you go to school and say, hey, look, I want to help the kids with mental health. Like, this is what I want to do. I just want to come talk to the kids. They're like, please. Come on, because they know the problem there too. Like mm-hmm. they know it's there. So for me, it's just making it happen and making the phone calls. And be like, hey, look, I'm available. I'm free. Like, let's make this happen. And of course, 
it's I want to do more. I, I want to continue stretching the capabilities of what I can do because I know that the more I do and the more I become <clears throat> consumed with this project, the more that I'm going to be able to find help to help me expand the project. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you reach these kids initially? Like when you go in, you're in front of a class, you know, that's never met you before. Right. Never seen you. Um, probably doesn't. They're not thinking about mental health like we think it, about it as adults. Right. Um, what's your opening? So to break down the wall is really what you have to do, right. especially not easy with kids. Uh, terrible with teenagers. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so for me, what I do is you have to what I call meet people where they're at. Like it's it's not about where I'm at right now because. I've been through hell and back and I've gone on this crazy self-development journey, but I have to meet them where they're at. And in order for me to do that, I have to put myself in their shoes. And the way I do that is by telling my story of what I was going through at that age. So if I'm talking to teenagers or high school students, I tell them all the things that I was going through in high school from being overweight to being picked on to feeling isolation and struggling with anxiety, depression, even to the point of being suicidal at one point. And I open up about this because only once you're vulnerable and you share your own story, do these kids actually have something to relate to. Mm -hmm. Because just like for me, when I was in high school, no one else is going through this. Why am I alone in this? Why am I the only one that feels this way? That's the same way these kids are feeling. When in reality, every single person in that room feels the exact same way they just have never been given the okay to talk about it Mm -hmm. and you know as well as i do growing up especially as guys suck it up you'll be okay just keep going be tougher than that you know don't worry about that just keep going um even females are being taught that nowadays you know and when you look at like gender roles in society females are taught more masculine roles now of hey you got to do this on your own don't depend on a man you got to toughen up. So we're taught, we're never taught how to deal with our emotions. So when I'm talking to these kids, I first give them the okay, like, hey, it's okay to be vulnerable because only once you're vulnerable can you then get the help you need. Mm -hmm. Once you're honest about how you're feeling and what you're going through, then, you know, somebody can say, you know what? Hey, I've been through that. And I can, you know, this is what I've done to get through that. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, it's about relating these kids and breaking down that wall and just saying, look, I've been there. I know what you're going through. It's not fun. But the good news is, is you're at such a young age where you have your whole life in front of you. Like you're still developing into the person you're going to be. So you have that choice to say, hey, look, this is not who I'm going to be the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just about breaking down that wall. And do you have them engage in different ways? <clears throat> I mean, is it conversation back and forth? Do you task them with anything, like challenge them to do anything outside of the uh conversation itself is there any kind of follow-up or anything like that what kind of so stuff do you have? i tried to do a couple things just to kind of break the normality of a teacher student role and i let them know like this is a little bit more of a conversation and this only works if this is a conversation mm-hmm. i'm not here to talk at you i'm here to talk with you mm-hmm. and we're going to have a discussion so i'll do a couple things at first like maybe the breathing exercise at the very beginning because when were you ever taught the power of breathing in high school? Right. You're not. So maybe something like that. Or even something like literally as stupid as telling them to stand up, 
stretch, and then sit back down. Even if something as little as that just breaks that cycle of them being a student sitting in a chair. Mm-hmm. And then from there, <clears throat> I condense my story down because the whole point of me telling my story is just to get them to open up. Just to get them to open up so they can then engage in conversation with me. And yeah, by doing that, I, I get some crazy questions, some really inappropriate questions. I mean, these are high school kids. Um, but at the same time, I get some really powerful stuff going on. And that's really the whole point of me talking to, you know, of me going to share my stories to get them to open up to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some classes and some like students I talk to are great about opening up and let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Well, how does this work? But then you walk into some classrooms and it's just really hard to break down that initial barrier. Some of them, what I do is because I don't have like the full system built out yet, I've, I've got it planned, but it's just not there structurally. I don't give out my phone number, email address, anything like that, but I give out my Instagram handle and I'm like, Hey, look, if you still want to talk more after this, reach out to me on Instagram and I'm only going to respond to you if you keep it professional. But if you need some help with something, you want to talk about something, just reach out to me. And I've gotten messages as late as like one o'clock in the morning. You know, just something on that kid's mind that they just can't get off their mind and they want to talk about it. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of the follow up right now. And I don't give advice. I just listen to them and tell them there's hope and just try to be positive for them and let them know like, hey, you have power in this situation. You're not a victim. That's mm-hmm. my biggest thing with these kids is I try to get them out of the victim mentality mm-hmm. um, and let them know, you know, their life really is up to them and the choices they make. And they don't have to be a victim to their circumstances, to what happened to them or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, if you could reach that one <coughs> kid doing stuff like this, which um, we, we could probably use more stuff like this. And if you get to that one kid, I mean, uh, all these school shootings that have been happening lately uh you know what difference could it have made if somebody like you had gone in at the right time you know well and see that's the big thing is i just posted online today um for the first time in the history of the united states more people are dying from heroin than they are from gun violence that's a crazy number like when you think about it you I mean yeah we know drug overdoses happen but literally more people are dying from heroin than they are from guns right now. So with gun violence, with school shootings, with drug problems, I mean, drug in schools right now is crazy. Those are all symptoms. It's really about mental health. I mean, let's be honest. If a kid is happy, productive, has purpose in life, and they don't feel isolated, alone, and in a dark place, school shootings aren't going to happen. So, yeah, you can blame guns. That's not the problem. The problem is mental health. So for me, you're right. How much, you know, progress could we make if we had a mental health program in every school across the country Hmm. where you just give kids an outlet, give them somewhere they can go where they feel comfortable and they feel like they can actually get help Mm -hmm. instead of somebody that they think is going to report back to their parents or tell the principal on them or something like that. Yeah. Um, just giving the kids an outlet of somewhere they can go for help. And <clears throat> that's been the biggest question I've been asked is, Robbie, how do you scale this program? Like you're only you, you're, you know, you can only talk to so many people at a time. So that's really, you know, why I'm hitting the fundraiser train right now. 
we have ways to scale this program. We have ways to expand it to, because the ultimate goal is I want this to be a nationwide program. You know, here I am, you know, nobody from South Mississippi, but I want to create nationwide change in mental health and schools. And I actually have a plan to do that and a system that I think we can, I think we can make some real change. Um, so that's why I'm hitting the fundraising train right now because I have big ideas, but in order to execute big ideas, you need big money. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, we have some big goals and big dreams, but I think we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in terms of school shooting stuff, um, so you would argue that it's not necessarily about cause a lot of the initial reaction by most people is we need to control guns. We need to outlaw guns and all that. Right. Which, I mean, you would say that's not the biggest issue here, right? It's more of a mental health issue to that me, needs to be addressed. To me, like stopping guns, that's a symptom. Right. It's a symptom of the problem. It's also impossible. Also, you know, absolutely. All you're going to be, all you're going to do is take away guns from law-abiding citizens. Yeah, there's a saying: if you outlaw guns, the only people that will have guns are outlaws. Exactly. And you and I both know that's 100 percent true. Yeah. Um, the dark web makes anything possible. And if you want to get something illegal, all you got to do is open up Tor browser on your computer, and you can find it. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> if you fundamentally cannot stop that, mm-hmm. like literally, you can YouTube how to build a bomb. So if you fundamentally can't stop that, what can you stop? Like what, where can you create change? And what I'm, what I'm thinking, like the way my brain works is I hate putting band-aids on problems. You know, Roosevelt said complaining without providing a solution is just called whining. And that's, that's the way I think is like, okay, if we have a problem, like let's actually get to the root cause of the problem and provide a solution there. So for me, that's mental health mm-hmm. because like I said, if these kids and these teenagers have someone to talk to and someone to express like all this anger and rage and emotions inside of them that they don't have anything to do with, like they have no outlet for, they're just bottling up like I used to. I mean, I spent the first two thirds of my life never expressing emotions. I just bottled them up inside until they would eventually come just like pouring out. Um, so if we give them an outlet in some way, some way to handle these emotions and learn emotional intelligence, then I think that, yeah, we won't stop all of it, Mm -hmm. but I think we can create some serious change and make a real dent into that problem. Let's talk about emotional intelligence because that's an interesting, I love that. That's an interesting phrase. And, um, you know, just listening to you, you know, I've, I've had points in my life when, I wasn't necessarily bottling things up because I wanted to, but maybe because I didn't know what was going on or I didn't have the self-analytical capacity to figure out what, where I was, what I needed to do. Plus, I, you know, I was in, suffering from insomnia, so right. uh, I was going through college, a lot of crazy stuff, and uh, until it would get to the point where I'd be you know, on the phone with my mother just crying, not yeah. really sure why. I just knew that I was exhausted and I wasn't happy and I didn't know what to do to fix it. I just wanted to kind of get out of the position that I was in. Um, and now, years later, um, you know, having experienced more, having become more in tune and more 
accepting of a lot of things and just emotional management. Now I can freely experience emotions of, of grief and happiness and have more greater control. And it's a more satisfying feeling. Like when you hear a song when you're driving by yourself and it's a beautiful song and it makes you cry and you feel connected to God or the universe or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not like a, why am I crying? It's like, I'm crying because life is great and and this is great. And, you know, there's a thousand other people who who have heard this song and felt the same way or, or whatever. Or it makes you feel compassion about, you know, you hear a sad song, it makes you... Uh, compassionate or empathetic towards others who might hear the song and, you know, take it from a a different perspective. Um, So, yeah, emotional intelligence is huge. Being able to regulate it, it gives you that inner freedom to express it and be a a part of it. And being in control of your emotions is half the battle, right? I mean... 100%. Yeah. And when you say, like, I love the word you just used, freedom. Because to me, that's what emotional intelligence really is. When you start looking into psychology and philosophy of emotions themselves, so many people literally run their life motivated by emotions. Mm -hmm. I feel this way, so therefore I'm going to do this. And when you live in that modality, you don't have control. Because literally you're just reacting to everything. I feel this way, this happened to me, so therefore I'm going to react and do this. Mm-hmm. And having emotional intelligence, which really at its core what emotional intelligence is, is recognizing you're having an emotion, understanding where it stems from, what it normally causes you to do, and then making a decision based on that understanding mm-hmm. and not being so reactionary to every little thing it's you'll see it a lot in stoic philosophy where they talk about just that they don't refer to it as emotional intelligence but they refer to it as you know understanding your emotions therefore you can then react accordingly mm-hmm. and the way the brain works is all of our emotions are based on past events and when you think of your brain as a filing cabinet which is really what it is your brain's a filing cabinet and every memory you have has an emotion attached to it so when you listen to that, that song that brings up a sad emotion, it's because it reminds you of a memory. You then access it in your filing cabinet, and in that filing cabinet is an emotion attached to that file. Mm-hmm. So that's why you then feel that emotion. Mm-hmm. And emotional intelligence is saying, okay, I've accessed that file. It has this emotion associated with it. This is why I feel that way, and this is how I react to it. Mm-hmm. But it's just understanding that. And the beautiful thing about that is like for me, the biggest thing it's done for me is like when somebody says something to me that would normally trigger me and I would normally react this way to that. I'm like, okay, you just said that to me. I normally would feel this and I do feel that right now, but I also know where that road leads me and it's not pretty. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to choose to do this because I know that that is going to lead me to a happier outcome. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's self-awareness and emotional intelligence. It's a tough road to go down mm-hmm. because it's not easy to understand the root causes of your emotions mm-hmm. and understanding what they mean to you. What, what does sadness mean to you? Like, what are you basing that on compared to what? 
these are all questions you got to ask yourself that aren't easy because like I said, emotions are based off of the past. Mm-hmm. You're basing them off of something that's happened in the past. Is it right or wrong? I don't know. It's all in your perspective. There is no truth, only perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all about your perspective of the past. And another beautiful thing about that is when you think about emotional intelligence, it's a debate of can you rewrite your past? And <clears throat> reframing emotions is something I do a lot with my client clients. Like when you access that file in your brain and it has an associated emotion with it, well, just as you've associated that emotion with that file, you can reassociate a new emotion to that file. So you can literally reframe how you view your past. And that's one of the biggest things that I've had to do for myself just because I have been so through so many perceived negative things that I've had to reassociate as being positive. And I actually can look at my past now as being a positive thing versus a negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to what you were saying about, you know, if somebody were to say something to you and you... <clears throat> know in your head that you could be reactive and act one way or another, a lot of times that, that makes a difference between making an enemy or, or keeping an ally hundred percent, based on how you react. And a lot of people, um, we have a very me, me, me kind of culture society in a lot of ways. We're very materialistic and all these kinds of things. And I don't think we have a true realization of how connected we all are as a group and how, how, um, how our involvement and our relationships with other people around us affect our <clears throat> subconscious and the things that haunt us at night in our sleep or whatever it is. Right. Uh, the shitty things we do and say to each other that, you know, you think about, you know, uh, under whatever circumstances, you know, um, you, you know, people talk about like, eating a, a too strong of a pot brownie and then all of a sudden tripping on what you said to some girl in the fourth grade. Right. You know, it's things like that that you yeah. have to kind of reconcile with. Absolutely. And recognize that you feel bad and it's okay to feel bad. Mm-hmm. That's there for a reason. Yeah. So that you can self-correct. Right. So that you'll go for, forward treating people better. And, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the road to loving yourself. That's the road to get to you know, being a, being in a fixed, a fixed versus growth mindset. Mm -hmm. So what you just spoke about was I went through something. It made me feel this way and I don't want to feel this way again. So I'm going to learn from it and correct myself moving forward. That's being in a growth mindset. That's one of the biggest topics I talk when I go talk to businesses. That's what I talk to them about is being in a growth mindset. One of my things I love telling people, if you want to do anything in life, do learn, repeat, Take action, learn from that action, and then repeat the process. And that's really what life is. You know, you can gain all the, you know, like you, I consume a ton of knowledge. And knowledge is great, but unless we take action on it, we're not really learning that knowledge. Mm -hmm. We're just, we're not, excuse me, we're, we're gaining knowledge, we're not gaining wisdom. There's a big difference. And being in that growth mindset is exactly what you're talking about. And that's where a lot of people struggle is they wonder why they keep repeating the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. They wonder why they keep having toxic relationships in their life. Why do I keep attracting toxic people to me? Well, you keep repeating the same actions. You keep putting yourself in the same situations with the same type of people. How do you expect anything to change? 
how do you expect anything to change if you keep putting yourself in the same situation? Mm-hmm. You keep going, ladies, you keep going after the same type of guy. Well, no crap, you're going to keep getting your heart broke because you still are putting yourself in that same situation and never learning from that. Guys make the same mistake. They just don't talk about it as much. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see guys posting their sensitive feelings on Facebook, even though they're feeling the exact same emotions that females are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're, they're making the same, like, I cannot stand when I see both sexes on Facebook bashing the other sex. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no crap you keep getting your heart broke because A, you don't love yourself, and B, you're searching for love through an external validation source, which you're never going to get. Congratulations. And you never learn. You keep putting yourself in the same problem you see over and over again. Get into a growth mindset and learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And I think it's the recreational approaches we take, too. I mean, <clears throat> for the to be such a huge demand in shows like <clears throat> Desperate Housewives and The Bachelorette and all these things, these are all drama saturated shows these are all reactive shows uh full of you know women who are just like losing their mind about whatever uh and people gravitate towards this for some reason because i don't know if there's just like what what is that what is that you do we you know we love (laughs) watching conflict and drama man it's i mean it's what entertainment is if if you tune into the news every night to watch the grass grow you're not going to tune into the news every night Right. You tune into the news every night because you want to see destruction, you want to see death, you want to see all those negative things. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of what a lot of what I've seen is people because we have lost touch with who we are through external sources of validation and we don't practice self-love anymore and we don't practice self-awareness just like myself and I'm only speaking through experience here we grow up to develop these internal voids and these internal just like negative places that we don't know how to feel for ourselves. We don't know how to stand in a room by ourselves with no music on, no TV on and be happy in that moment because we're so addicted to immediate gratification and that external source of validation. We have to have stuff like that in our lives. Mm. We have to scroll through our Facebook feed and see all these negative comments and everything going on in everybody else's life to make us feel better about ourselves. Yeah. It's crazy, but it's because we have these holes in ourselves that we need filling through external sources. Mm-hmm. And that's that's honestly one of the biggest things I see with people these days mm-hmm. is A, they don't know who they are. They have no clue who they are, what stage of life they're in, what they want out of life, like what their purpose is for being here. So if you don't know any of those things, how do you know where you're going? And so they don't know those things. So therefore they're seeking to be externally validated and externally given some sort of significance in this world. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a big problem, but once again, it goes back to mental health, you know, until you're mentally healthy enough and who you are, your own authenticity, then you're not gonna be able to find it through external sources and that seeking external validation is just a negative spiral that you'll never find a bottom to. Yeah. And it's crazy since we're talking about, you know, people going through on social media and, and, and finding negative things and, uh, you know, news stories that, you know, people will click on news stories that are dark and, and dramatic and, you know, just wild things going on, whether it's immigration or gun control or, or, XYZ 
Um, and then there's just other things that is just totally fake news that people just read <laughs> and just news. just because they enjoy it. Yeah. Which I've I've found a lot of stuff about you know this news article that you know reported that this guy won the lottery and then had a dump truck of literal dump dumped onto his boss's front yard and like took the citation <laughs> like a doctor uh and then you know come to find out i snopes it and it was you know a lie the photo of the man they took was n- nobody right related to anything um but people will share it and talk about it and all this kind of stuff and um, I was listening to a podcast recently that was the guy was talking about how our engagement with those posts, the comments, the sharing and all that, it creates the demand and it just, oh yeah, yeah. And it just, sh- that's why it shows up more and more and more and people run with it and they talk about it and money from advertisements based on that's what it goes click back to goes to the person, you know, the user, mm-hmm. the viewer. And it's just a it's just a weird, interesting cycle. It is. So that's another pet peeve of mine is when people talk about how dark this world is right now and how much negativity is going on in this world. Well, your reality is your perception of it Mm -hmm. and what you focus on grows. So if all you're paying attention to is negative sources like that and negative media and the news and political crap. Well, of course, your viewpoint of your reality, the world you live in, is going to be very negative. But one of the things you have to do in life is you have to separate fact from fiction. Okay, a lot of that is just fiction. Fact, let's be honest. I heard uh, Jordan Peterson talking today. Um, who would who would hate us for talking about emotional intelligence because right? he is not a fan. I, but I love, love Jordan Peterson. Yeah. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast um, mm-hmm. recently. And one of the comments he made was in the last 25 years, violent crime is down 50% worldwide. This is the safest time in human existence. Yet if you watch the news and read the newspaper, they're portraying the exact opposite. Mm. Because if they put stories in the newspaper and on the news of that, they're not selling. Mm-hmm. People aren't watching. Yeah, because after a while you'd go, all right, well, there's another story about puppies and... The Boy Scouts helped the elderly, and right. yeah, I'm not going to tune in today because nope. it's all I, great in the world. I want to see the car crash. I want to see the murder. I want to see the b- explosion. I want to see that, mm-hmm. so that I can tell everybody else you got to be careful out there. Oh it's my goodness, dangerous out there. You're you going to die. You're you're going to walk outside your house and you hit by a car and you're going to die. You need to stay here. You need to stay in. You know. Yeah, you're going to strike by lightning, so you better be careful. Yeah. But when you look at like the world as a whole right now. <clears throat> It's getting better. And all these negative things that people are always talking about, to me, a lot of what the negativity is, is people looking for significance. It's people trying to create headlines, looking for significance, their place in the world. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the reality of it, I mean, the world I stay in, like, I don't watch the news. I don't read the newspaper. I mean, I read medical journals for fun. But a lot of what I look at on social media and YouTube is probably my favorite place um, is positivity and people out there doing amazing things in the world. I mean, look how popular Ted talks are mm-hmm. and is there negative Ted talks? No, every Ted talk is about doing something positive mm-hmm. and you see the rise of social entrepreneurship right now. Everybody bitches about the millennial generation and how terrible they are. Well, if they're so terrible, 
why is social entrepreneurship exploding right now, which social entrepreneurship is creating a business around solving a social problem. Mm-hmm. So you're doing good for the world while making money doing it. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. It wasn't there 15, 20 years ago in mm-hmm. the previous generation. Yeah. No, it's millennials that are creating that movement. Right. The world is a beautiful place if you clear out the negativity around you and look past that and actually see it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of self-empowerment, a lot of technology that, you know, a lot of these solo entrepreneurs are taking, improving upon, and they're giving outlets to people uh, like us who might want to be involved. 100%. With, you know, so, and I was talking to you earlier about, you know, road life and that I've been looking at <clears throat> things like Airbnb, you know, can rent out your place to, to folks while you're on the road. Or if you want to be a Lyft driver, or if you want to deliver food, or you want to walk dogs, or you want to house it. Like, there's a, so many opportunities that you can just make your own schedule with. Right. And, you know, granted, it, it might not pay what your your desk job is willing to pay and all that. Um, but it's, it's, it's freedom to a degree, and people can choose what they what they want to do at the end of the war at the end of your life if you're not living for happiness what are you living for mm-hmm. i mean if if you're living for a paycheck i feel sorry for you mm-hmm. yeah i think also our generation of, of people are wanting to travel more they are they're wanting to figure out who they are before mm-hmm. they do things like getting married i was just reading uh an article recently of how much longer the millennials are waiting on average to get married right uh which you know, I'm 28. How old are you? 34. 34. Old. <laughs> old. So, you know, we're both unmarried. And right. I was reading this study and they were saying that, you know, back in the day, whatever that was, you know, maybe <laughs> like the 60s or 70s or something like that, people were getting married. Women would get married like on average 21, men uh, 23 or somewhere around about now men aren't getting married to like 30 is the average of it because we want to, we want to travel. We mm-hmm. want to do different business ventures. We want to find not just the person in our hometown that would be like a good fit to get married or whatever, if you want to get married, <laughs> yeah. but like you want to find like the soulmate, you want to find somebody that compliments you and all this kind of stuff. We have a greater emphasis on <clears throat> the self and finding another self that compliments us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then, I don't know, you, it just goes back to say that so many people look at our generation, and I think that's a cycle. I think every, every older generation, generation yeah. Every single know. generation says that. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. The world's always getting worse. <laughs> the Bible's becoming truer every day. Yeah. Um, you know, kids don't have the same level of res- respect, and it's it's all perspective, and there is truth to it, and, you know, as things change, the variables change in the right. environment. But it is what you make of it. And it is what you what kind of um, energy, if you will, that you choose to surround yourself, the energy or the people. What what do you expose yourself to? Mm-hmm. And and based on that, you know, that's how your mind's going to form and ultimately what forms your actions. Correct. So <clears throat> when you look at the power of story, you know, the internal dialogue you have with yourself mm-hmm. is really what creates your reality from your limiting beliefs to your empowering beliefs and everything in between is really what creates your reality. And it's how you choose to see the world. And the 
most important word there is choose. Mm -hmm. You have choice in that. You know, we've all had some extremely dark times in our life. And in those dark times, you're given a choice. Do I stay here or do I come out of it? I mean, my last spell with like really bad depression, I would literally, I was working like 70 hours a week. If I wasn't working, I was at home in the fetal position watching TV, just trying to forget about the world. And it got to a point with me, I was like, okay, Robbie, like, this is bad. You're literally wasting every day of your life. You've got to do something about this. And for a lot of people, it's not knowing they can do something about it. It's not knowing they have the power of choice. So it's, it's just that. You have the power of choice. Every day you wake up, you can make a choice. I mean, I literally can make the choice right now to climb up on your roof, jump off, kill myself. I have that choice, but I choose not to. And I choose to go out there and do something in my life and create a legacy and go help as many people as I can and pay forward all these gifts that have been given to me. And I want to write my own story. I don't want to have someone else write my story for me. That's going to be very individualistic as far as how much control somebody wants to take in writing their own story. Let's be honest. I mean, there's some people that are going to work their 40-hour week job. They're going to have the white picket fence, three kids, wife, dog, and they're going to live an incredibly happy life. Great. More power to you. Like, like I said, at the end of the day, if you're not living for happiness, what are you living for? But then there's also people like me and you who are, you know, like, that would drive me nuts. Like, I literally cannot do that. Want a smaller house? I don't even know if I want a house. Like, I just want right. right. to be a gypsy, you know? Yeah. Right now, yeah. while, while, while I'm not married, right. why not? You know, I, I want to go explore and just see what else is out there. Yeah. But that's my own path to happiness. Mm-hmm. That, for me, in my authenticity, that's what I know is fulfilling to me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I do find that special someone, that girl of my dreams, and we do decide to settle down, of course that path will change for me. Mm-hmm. But at this given moment, that's my path. See, I'm looking for the girl who likes to travel. Uh, amen. So amen. You, you just came from California and you saw a lot of that out there. Right. You saw a lot of people like doing van life, RV, campers, <clears throat> all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of part of the culture. And is it's accepted there. I mean, Oh, absolutely. They get a lot of heat from like, you know, local law enforcement or, or, or locals in general or... No, well, the like the great thing about a lot of your bigger cities, New York, L.A., the people who live in those cities are not from those cities. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was out in L.A., I was literally meeting people and very like I would say maybe like 20 percent of the people I met were actually from that area. Everyone else went out there mm-hmm. and they tried to you know do something with their life or make something or go out there for a job or whatever. But you have this like collective melting pot. So that kind of lifestyle is accepted there and it's almost celebrated. You know, when I was out in LA, like one of the dualities of thought out there that I was constantly finding myself in is let's be honest, everybody in LA is chasing their dreams. So they're mostly out there for very selfish reasons. But at the same time, if you understand that they're very self-serving, the opposite end of that in the same competing belief is they're there to chase a dream. Mm-hmm. And they're there for their ambition 
and they're there just because they're taking a risk and they're doing something with their life. Mm-hmm. So I loved being around that. Yeah. I love being around people that were just going for it, mm-hmm. throwing caution in the wind and saying, you know what? If I fail, I fail. I'll start over. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they just appreciated that. And like I said, that's not for everyone. Um, one of the things you look at in life is most decisions you make is based on risk versus security. You know, do I want to stay in my comfort zone? Is that where what truly makes me happy? Or am I? Do I like taking more risk in life? Mm-hmm. Is that what makes me happy? Living on the edge, is that what gives me excitement? Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out kind of where you fit in that frame of mind and, you know, what you're willing, like what amount of risk you're willing to take in your life. Mm-hmm. You mentioned duality and you, you've, you you know, have talked about it recently. You did a live streaming, mm-hmm. I think, of, of duality. Um, can you speak on that a little bit more about why that area has intrigued you as of late? Yeah, like I love talking about this because so many times in my life, basically what duality is for me is having two competing ideas in your mind. And for me, a lot of times those two competing ideas for me is living as consciously and mindfully as much as I can in the present. Like just being fully right here, right now, making the most out of every single moment I'm in. As you're saying this, like I'm checking the feed on Facebook, watching us <laughs> talk <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah. But yeah, no, being in the moment. Being in the moment and like just absolutely maximizing that to its fullest potential. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that and still work for your future? Yeah. Because let's be honest. And if you really ask someone, okay, if you're going to die tomorrow, are you going to eat healthy today? Probably not. Are you going to work out today? Probably not. Are you going to go to work today? No, probably not. I'm going to do like, I'm going to spend time with my family. I'm going to eat amazing food. Like I'm going to live life to its fullest because I know I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Well, that's the thought process of living in the present is maximizing that. But if you do that every day, you're going to be overweight, be out of shape. You're probably not going to have any money, no friends, no nothing. No references. No references, no nothing. So, how do you live in those competing beliefs? How do you find balance in that? And there is no answer. There's absolutely no answer for that question. It's extremely individualistic. Like it's whatever you think, it's whatever I think, it's whatever I'm feeling at this moment. Like sometimes I do, like if I'm in a beautiful moment where I'm hiking a mountain or on the beach watching one of these crazy lightning storms we've had recently, then absolutely, I'm just going to surrender to the moment and let this beauty be just that. But at the same time, I understand that's a fleeting moment and it's going to expire and I have to get back on track to building this future that I want to build. So that for me is what living duality is, is having two competing beliefs in your head and trying to find balance between the two, even though true balance doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And then what about the biohack life? You've recently kind of been pushing on that. What what exactly is that? Can you explain that? Yeah, so biohack life is kind of my new surge in what I'm doing. So when you look at biohacking, and everybody always asks me, Robbie, what is biohacking? When you look at those two words, or the two origins that make up that word biohacking, because it's two words put together. You have the Greek bios, which is oneself, one's biology, you, who you are. 
And when you look at the original term that came out with MIT, what hacking is, is hacking is taking a complex system, understanding a complex system and stretching its capabilities. So when you put those two words together, it's taking your own complex system, which is who you are mentally, physically, and stretching its capabilities. So when I've looked back at everything I've done from health coaching to mental coaching to results coaching, everything I've done, that's what I've been doing all this time. I've been trying to find ways to maximize human potential. And to me, that's what biohacking is. It's maximizing your health, maximizing your mind, maximizing your soul and who you are as a human. Um, so like for my group, The Biohacked Life on Facebook, we've talked about everything from the keto diet to mindfulness and breathing, you know, because it's, if you're really going to maximize your human potential, it's going to take all that. It's going to take physical well-being, mental well-being, and then having this enriched soul that enjoys life. Um, so that's been my new movement kind of in my coaching business is teaching people how to biohack their lives. And like I said, I've done health coaching before. And for me, it was just like a small piece of the puzzle. There's so much more to what I want to help people with than just their physical body. I can show anybody how to lose 30, 50 pounds. Like that's easy. The hard part of that journey is the mental side of it. And hey, oh, by the way, if you get mentally healthy, then your physical health is going to follow. Right. So let's holistically. Because you want them to be able to thrive after you're gone. Amen. Without you in the picture. Amen. Please fire me as soon as you possibly can. Because I know at that point you've moved on. And that point you can do this for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, like, <clears throat> I'm here to empower people. I heard a guy say the other day, you know, we've, we've all heard the philosophy of teach a man to fish, right? If you feed a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. If you teach a man how to, fi- how to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime. Taking that one step further, I want to teach a man how to teach a man the fish. Okay, I want to create a true movement of empowerment. And I don't want to just teach people how to help themselves. I want to teach people how to help themselves so they can help others. And they can truly, you know, infect everyone around them with this movement of positivity and health and just living a beautiful life. Yeah. So what... I'm curious to know what what has your personal diet been like lately? Because the last time we were here, we talked a, a fair bit of, about that, and um, you know, I had talked to you about my own diet and what I had been doing at the time, and had asked you for some advice. And uh, you had said, "It sounds to me like you're not eating enough lean, good quality fat, or whatever." Right. And since then, and, and th- that has stuck with me like for ever since um which has been a thing that you know i i know mm-hmm. but sometimes you just have to hear somebody say it yeah absolutely. directly to you and it's just it's just the thing that kind of goes okay i i know this i just need to actually actually do it. like not just do it because for me it's not just doing it's like doing it and taking it all the way because you know, I have a fast metabolism, lifelong <clears throat> athlete. So there's just all like genetically speaking, like all the men in my family, you know, are, are just athletes with fast metabolism. I'm, I'm jealous, so, but go ahead. Right, right. And it, everybody's struggle is different from a different right, perspective. Right. I, I'm in a uh, hard game. I'm an outliner, uh, outlier rather. Um, and since then, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, and I've st- slowly started transitioning. Like I've been doing, I, I've been listening to these guys like Sean Baker. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've been up on him, and um, 
I've actually gone through quite a few podcasts of different shows he's been on just to like try to catch him in a flaw or something. Like it's right. almost this thing. It's like this guy's been eating uh, meat for 14 months or something like that. 16 months. Uh, only meat. Uh, I think, you know, um, that's it. I, I don't think it varies. A carnivore diet. A, a carnivore diet. Yeah. And um, he he's breaking world records. You know, he's a, you know, extreme power lifter, yeah. rower, all this kind of stuff. Very intellectual guy. Served mm-hmm. in the military. Um, you know, and, and sharp dude. And so I started moving towards uh, a more fat-based diet just from guys like Mark Sesson and, and, yep. and other people and, and the ketogenic diet. And, uh, but it was just recently, probably in the last like month and a half that I have started like just allowing myself, you know what, just eat as much meat as you feel you want to <laughs> do. And, and it's varied like almonds, eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make a pretty dope mayonnaise, like yep. a, you know, chili lime mayonnaise mm. that goes with all the meat. It does. Um, and you know, since I've last seen you, I've put on 10 pounds, 15 pounds, something like that. So what, and, what have and you noticed? Easily like, too. What have you noticed the biggest thing since adding more healthy fat to your diet? Um, the biggest thing. I feel I feel like I've always maintained good energy levels. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I feel I actually feel pretty normal because I've always. I mean, for years I've been eating healthy. Right. I, you know, I've sugar. It, it wasn't like a that. drastic change for you. No, no, it wasn't. It's just it's a more of a micro variation, really. Yeah. More than anything. Um, so I really can't cite much of a change at all. It's just that. <clears throat> It's been much easier to put on the weight that I've wanted to put on. And in terms of what that's done for um, strength, recovery, gains, and things like that, like I've, I do a lot more deadlifting. Like I used to not care for deadlifts at all, but then I found, you know, a trap bar and yeah. um, I'm the only guy in the gym that brings the benches together so I can set the trap bar on top so that, you know, I don't have to lift it from the floor every time. <laughs> uh, but my gains in that have have gone just mm-hmm. up and up and up more than any other lifting exercise that I can recall. Yeah, um, just because it's you know total body, uh, very engaging, and uh, so yeah, it's it's hard to say what exactly for me. I, you know, I'm not doing blood levels. I've never tested myself to see if I was in a state of ketosis. Although I imagine over the years, just from my natural diet, that um, that I am, mm-hmm. but. Um, so I don't know. It's hard to say. All I can say is I've, I feel good and, and the results that I'm wanting are occurring. Good. Yeah. Um, so for me, like we've talked about last time, I've I've eaten every way there is to eat. Like every diet that comes out, I try. The ice cream diet just never panned out for oh, me. God. I wanted it to, but uh, I know, don't right? think the science is there yet. Yeah, so. it's not quite there yet. Um, I mean, I haven't done the new carnivore diet. Um, but I mean, I've tried everything from vegetarian to keto to everything in between. Mm-hmm. And for me, I try and eat with a goal in mind. Like, okay, how do I want to perform? How do I want to feel? What's the purpose of my nutrition plan? Like I want to eat foods according to that. And since I'm not an athlete anymore, I'm not trying to step back on stage for bodybuilding. I'm, I'm not doing any of those things. What am I doing with my life? Okay. I'm 
constantly in like a high mental state. I want to, I want my brain to perform at its highest possible function. So let me eat accordingly. So I started doing the research and from the research, basically it's a superfood diet and you're eating, you're eating healthy fats. I can't tell you how much avocado I eat in a day. It's a ton. Um, avocado. I eat a ton of, um, like kale, spinach, of course, blueberries. Um, I even, you know, probably get at least 50% of my protein in the day from plant sources. So I'm not eating nothing but animal protein anymore. Um, I'm just, my goal right now is to eat the highest quality foods I can possibly eat. And I've almost kind of started eating more of an anti-inflammation diet. Mm -hmm. So I stay away from any foods that are going to give me any kind of inflammation. And that's part of wheats, grains, wheats, grains for me, dairy. Um, I know for a fact gluten causes inflammation in my body. Absolutely. Like, I'm for not, most people, it does. I'm not going to sit here and it's say, like... Sl- it's a slow, oncoming thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Though, you know? I'm not going to say, like, I have celiac disease or anything like that, because I know I can digest it, mm-hmm. but I literally can feel it in my hands the day after I eat gluten. Really? And I know that it's just the modern processed gluten. Like, if I eat store-bought bread, something like that. Because if I eat, like, real homemade bread, it's not bad. Like, real quality ingredients. But... So I know to stay away from gluten. I know to stay away from dairy. Of course, I stay away from sugar mm-hmm. um, just because sugar for me is a slippery slope. So I eat as many superfoods as I possibly can in the day. Mm-hmm. Nutrient-dense foods. Um, and I find by doing that, I have prolonged energy. Um, I haven't measured a macro in probably two years. Yeah. And I don't count calories. I don't have to do any of those kind of things. And yeah. I've been there too. And that's, <coughs> it's a pain. Know, nobody likes it. It's a pain. It's not that great. It's a pain. And like, I'm not the skinniest I've ever been, but I'm hovering somewhere around 10 to 12% body fat, which is healthy for a male. But I'm able to live life, not have to worry about anything, and just be healthy. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's all it is. It's concentrating on eating the highest quality, nutrient-dense food you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Stay away from processed foods. Stay away from the junk that you know you shouldn't be having. That's that's what's funny about this conversation is when you talk to somebody about food and when they're like, I, I need to be healthy, I need to lose weight. I'm like, you know what you should be eating. You know what you shouldn't be eating. That's not the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is why you keep picking the bad foods. Right. That's the real problem. Some people are still not totally hip to, uh, looks like you got something going on there on your device. Um, Low battery. Yeah, I'm probably in the same boat. Uh, looks like I got something going on on my phone too. We're 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 rookies, folks. We can only do so much at one time. Uh, Absolutely. But some people are still in the mindset that um, transitioning from like white bread to whole whole grain and and uh, brown rice over white rice. Right. That these are like the optimal, you know, choices and things like that, which there's probably improvements to be had there. But there is. <clears throat> I mean, if we're talking about the optimal diet and, and where the science is going, uh, you know, bread and, and, and pastas and, and all those things are, you know, not the best, not the best. Well, and at the end of the day, really, it's and part of the biohacked life is understanding your body. And what works for you. Mm-hmm. 
if you can eat those kind of, if you like, you can eat pasta and bread and stuff like that and feel fine, function well, and not have any biomarkers show up from doing it. Look, keep doing it. I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to do the best you can. Like, yeah, you can. Part of the biohack life is maximizing your human potential. Mm-hmm. Part of maximizing your human potential is your happiness. So if you're, what is it called, orthorexia? You ever heard of that term? No. Orthorexia is a new term that's come out where it's it's an eating disorder where you overly, like your mind overly thinks about what's healthy, what's not healthy, counting macros, counting carbs, counting all this crap, where literally it becomes an eating disorder. Mm. Where if you eat one bad thing, you have a panic attack. And that's where we see a lot of people get to. When mentally, you mentally control a lot of your metabolism. So if you're constantly stressed out about what you're eating and what you're not eating, well, that's just as bad for you as eating the bad foods. Yeah. So happiness is part of that equation. Um, And then, you know, a lot of what we're seeing now, if you do a lot of the new research and you're up to date on health trends, um, gut health. That's what everybody's talking about right now. Um, Gotta get your kombucha teas. You got to drink your your bone broth. Your probiotics, your prebiotics, all that fun stuff. Because what the research shows is 80% of your immunity starts in your gut. And I didn't know this one until recently. 70 to 80% of your feel-good hormones, serotonin and dopamine, are produced in the gut. Mm. So if you have a bad gut health, then, hey, you're fighting up a battle. I mean, leaky gut, IBS, those, those those occurrences are increasing every year mm-hmm. people are having worse and worse gut health because of all the crap we're putting in our body so gut health is where all the new science is pointing out i mean um dr mark hyman i don't know if you're familiar with him he just um he just did a video series on called the broken brain and it's talking about all these problems of parkinson's alzheimer's um depression if you do the research a lot of this can be traced back to the gut which is crazy um so, you know, that's that's been one of my big topics here recently is just gut health and making mm-hmm. sure people are getting what they need in their gut to actually function properly. Mm-hmm. That's why I keep telling people they need to eat kimchi. <laughs> not good, only good luck with that. Not only because it's delicious, goes great with steak and eggs because it's good for your gut. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Most of your pickled foods. Yeah. If they're not drowned in preservatives. Yeah. Are very good for you. I think what's the other one is sauerkraut. Sauerkraut's great. Yep, yep. Kimchi, sauerkraut, even like pickles, um, deviled food, stuff like that. Like, kombucha is really good. Yep. Um, But then making sure, like, what's really funny is when you do the research, like most of the um, probiotic supplements that people buy nowadays are like just in a gel cap or something they drink, like some pill they take. And let's be honest, your your stomach's a very acidic environment. Mm Mm-hmm. And most of the research shows that only 4% of those probiotics you take actually make it to the intestines where they do work mm. because the stomach eats them all up. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the hard part about gut health is finding something that actually works. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just about doing the best you can. Like yeah. that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sugar, this was something that I've been reflecting on uh, just a couple of days ago. Um, the idea that sugar is a huge killer, yeah. it's a huge detriment to our health, but it's in everything. Everything. Not widely regulated. No. Um, mm. And then I start asking myself, well, what what is sugar? 
what is sugar to you? You know, because to me, what is what does sugar do? Ooh. Well, it's super addictive. Very addictive. Um, causes all kind of health problems. Mm-hmm. Changes your your physical and mental state. Yes. Sounds like a drug. Uh, well, the studies actually show that, like most foods that sugar can be found in, uh-huh. in high enough doses, it's more addicting than heroin. Right. Yet it's unregulated. Right. Explain that one to me. So, so I started doing this little mental experiment. Whenever somebody would say something associating a product that they like, a candy bar or a soda <laughs> or whatever it is, I, I love Coca-Cola. I love Snickers. Well, why do you like that product? It's because it's full of sugar. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, there's the nuts and the caramel and all that. Well, the caramel sugar. So Exactly. You know. It's sweet. Right. And the, the Coca-Cola, it's got fizz and it's something that tastes different than water, but it's the sugar. Yeah. So whenever, now I'm like doing this thing whenever, you know, somebody says uh, the other day, oh, I'm going to get a Coke. I just love Coke. I replace that with, oh, I'm going to get some drugs. I love drugs. You know, well, like or Coke. or pair or like you know, uh, somebody who comes up to the kids and, hey, I brought you, you know, mm. I brought you those, uh, whatever, um, name your name your candy, uh, Sour Patch Kids. Oh. I brought you, I brought you drugs, kids. Yeah, you know, and it's just <clears throat> so with Coke, it's got two addictive chemicals in it, sugar and caffeine, mm-hmm. both of which release feel good hormones in your brain, and if you ever stop taking them, you have withdrawal symptoms from. Mm-hmm. But I'm so happy you brought up the point about sugar and kids because I'm fixing to scare the crap out of some parents. Mm. Um, when you start doing the research on allowing your kids to eat sugary foods mm-hmm. and the long-term effects of that. <clears throat> so when do most parents give their kids sugary foods? When they're being bad. Shut up. Here's some candy. You know, And you just see it happen over and over again. And anytime, even when your kid's in a good mood, anytime you give your kids sugar, I mean, as adults, we experience it too, but it's a lot more impactful on kids because they're still developing in their brain. Anytime you give your kids sugar, it triggers the release of happy hormones in their brain. And they don't understand that it's the sugar. So you are literally hardwiring your kids to need, not just want, but need immediate gratification in their life. Because that's exactly what sugar is. You eat sugar and you're immediately gratified on how good it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. So you're hardwiring your brain to want immediate gratification. And they've done long-term sp- studies with kids. And it shows that when you give kids sugar in high doses early in adolescence and that hardwires into their brain, now they're going to be triggered to need immediate gratification for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And if something doesn't go their way, they have a hard time dealing with it. Mm. And that to me is just scary because you see so much of it going on and it even happens with us. You know, we've talked already about immediate gratification and that need to feel validated. So when we eat food, that's why you have such a problem in America right now with emotional eating. Emotional eating is immediate gratification. You're dealing with some kind of suffering, some kind of pain in your life and you want to feel better. So you eat and sugar is the largest culprit of that. Because it releases the most chemicals in your brain, and it's the most addictive. Yeah. You're scaring me, and I don't even have the kids. You're welcome. <laughs> Look, I, I'm, an, I'm a sugar addict, too. My, 
It's good stuff. <clears throat> oh my god! You like, know? Look, I, I lo- like you talked about the ice cream diet. I love, love ice, ice cream, cream. Oh, chocolate chip god. cookie dough. That's my Ooh. weakness. I'm, I'm more of a cookies and cream guy. Uh, I grew up on that too. Yeah, I'm all stocked the fridge with that one as well. Look, so. me, me and my dad grew up having nutty buddy eating contests. Oh, so nice. it wasn't just here's a treat. It's like, hey, who can eat the box fastest? Yeah, you know that's that's how I grew up, and so that whole like trigger of emotional eating and you know that addiction to sugar, yeah. I completely understand, and I still deal with it. Trust mm-hmm. me, like if I'm stressed out, my brain immediately goes to, okay, where can I find food to satisfy this problem I'm having? Mm-hmm. But back to emotional intelligence. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just it's a way of life, and it's one of the things we have to deal with. It's just, you know, sometimes we have to be bigger than our problems. We have to be bigger than our insecurities. Yeah. I want to talk about two more things before we start to wrap up. Um, I think I saw something about, were you at Club for Fitness recently? Club 4, yes. Right yeah. right down the street. Yeah. That you is know, my... I work there. You work there? I work there. What are you doing Honestly, there? I'm, a, I'm an instructor there. Group? Yeah, group instructor. What are you teaching? Yoga. Really? Yeah. When? Saturdays, 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock Saturday is my phone's now dead. Um, <laughs> Club 4 Fitness. Um, Which is a great gym, too. Bro, and, I love that gym. Yeah. Um, I was actually a member of, of the one in Flowood uh-huh. up in Jackson Yeah. Um, before they opened down here. So when they opened down, I was like, absolutely, it's a great gym. Um, I'm glad you told me that. I might start going. Yeah, dude. I'm trying to... I'm trying to they, they just kind of started me out because, like, you know... I, I was an instructor at an, a different gym, and I I have a certification now. I've, I've since gone to uh, Baton Rouge and uh, got a certification for it. But the last two jobs that I've done has just been off street cred that people have hired <laughs> me to, to do that. Yeah. Um, and now I'm getting a job on the military base to do it there, Please. to instruct there. So I'm trying to get more hours uh you know, in, in some way or shape or form, of course they're, they're new and they're still going through their, their growing process and all, but I'm, I'm hoping that I can do more, but, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So you go out and work out there fairly regularly. I do. That's, that's now my, I mean, hit hit me up because I never go out there because I usually go, uh, to the military bases where I I go, um, just to try to be effective. But, Mm -hmm. um, I would, I, I would like to train a little bit more, seriously i might even like want to put in double overtime kind of thing so well good and i need to uh, do yoga so actually what i've been doing so i haven't been doing yoga i've been doing ramwad you know what that is never it's it comes from the crossfit world but it's range of motion workout of the day Mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily yoga but you're holding a lot of yoga poses yeah but it's just like really intense stretches like you're holding some stretches for like five minutes yeah yeah and me as an ex-athlete with a ton of injuries and limited range of motion from those injuries. I just started this past month like doing that. So yeah, I need to do yoga. It's it's not gonna be pretty the first few times I'm in there. I used to do a lot of it, but I think over the years a combination of lifting weights, not stretching, and these injuries getting worse, mm-hmm. my body's like slowly started to tighten up. Yep. Um, and that's part of <clears throat> my like new perspective on my health is hey, Rob, you don't have to be the biggest bodybuilder in the gym anymore. Like you're there for your health mm-hmm. and stretching. So literally every day I work out, I do that range of motion wor- workout afterwards and it's 20 minutes. So the last part of my workout is a 20 minute stretching routine. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, is it beneficial? Yeah. Like I need to do that probably like an hour a day just because how bad my body hurts. Mm-hmm. And then for, I mean, for me, yoga, stretching, I mean, <clears throat> I do it every day, whether it's just 
stretching or if it's more, you know, an actual kind of yoga practice. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I find myself wanting to do it first thing in the morning, if I can, for a couple minutes, find myself wanting to do it in the middle of the day instead of taking a nap, you know, to just loosen up pre-workout, love to stretch. I did, I did a phone call with a client today on my foam roller. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a couple times I've I'm done like, a couple of those. I'm I've, like on the phone rolling. I'm like, oh, yep, that's a spot. Sorry, didn't mean to say that. Yeah, yeah. Those T, those uh, I'd have a TP foam roller and, mm-hmm. and love that thing. I also have another one that's like brutal. It's like a torture device. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. With spikes on it. Yep, yep, yep. That one hurts. I don't use that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, and then like the ball thing that you showed me at your place one time, the you know like the little the spiky ball, spiky ball. Yeah, you know, I've got one of those. I want to get a lacrosse ball too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, all that stuff is great and just breaking down that tissue and yes. the back and the the hamstrings and all that stuff. Great stuff. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to say? Um, <clears throat> credible information. You saw I saw a good post that you put up about all these different outlets of places that people go right. and pull information from, uh, you know, there's been a slew of t- terrible Netflix documentaries. Oh God, they're bad. Like what the health is probably the worst, like one of the worst documentaries. I've that's ever that's seen. a vegetarian one, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's just start. That was there. like co-produced by like Joaquin Phoenix and like some other people. So yeah. I don't know, you know, and the whole premise of what the health is like, let's be real is a guy who's like exploring being a vegetarian, right? Uh-huh. Like he's going to these doctors because he wants to know more about it because he wants to like, is this the optimal way to live? Like I'm exploring this for the first time in my life. Like he makes you feel he's never been exposed to this before. Mm-hmm. When you do the research on that guy, he was a vegetarian for five years before he ever made that documentary. Mm-hmm. So to tell you that he made that without an agenda is straight BS. Mm-hmm. So most of those documentaries, man, they're just... They're made with an agenda to get viewers. Mm-hmm. Like they want to create controversy to get viewers. Is it actual science? Maybe 30, 40% of it. Maybe. Right. But it's, it's done with an agenda. Mm-hmm. And that's what pisses me off. Yeah. And then what were the other places that, you know, we cite, you've got your, your news channels and then Netflix, social media. Yeah. There's all these other places. There's all these other places where you can get spotty information. Um, what what would you say? What would you recommend people as far as places to go for credible sources? So, of course, like, once again, do the best you can. Like, there's so much bad information out there. And even on, so my favorite place is PubMed. Um, it is basically the Library of Congress of health, health studies. And they're all peer-reviewed. peer-reviewed. <clears throat> they're, it's pretty much the best you can get. And now the other phone's dying. <laughs> but, you know, even on there, when you start looking at who did the study, who it was published by, and then start tracing the money, most studies performed today are done with an agenda. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, <clears throat> when you see, like, the sugar company just got in a lot of trouble about this. When they got exposed for altering data and altering studies to prove their agenda so they could sell their products. Mm-hmm. Um, the most famous one that I always bring up is for so long, we were taught breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Okay, great. That's mom science. What is it based on? Well, it's based on two studies that were done. 
Both of those studies proving breakfast is the most important meal of the day were both paid for by breakfast food manufacturers, mm. one of which being Dr. Kellogg of Kellogg Cereals. Mm. So there's just so much bad information out there. <clears throat> really, there's a new term called a citizen scientist. And that's really where you're taking it upon yourself to go learn information. And you see what, you see the surgeon of it now, like when people have something wrong with them, they go directly to Dr. Google. Mm-hmm. And they find they try to figure out on Dr. Google what's wrong with them. Like mm-hmm. I'm having these symptoms, I must have cancer. Um, <clears throat> so there's so much access to information, good and bad. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to separate which is and what isn't. I mean, you know, we often listen to the loudest voice, not exactly the right voice. But like I said, my favorite place is PubMed, just because it is peer reviewed. You have other people looking at the studies, not just the ones who publish it. Um, that's where I go for a lot of my research. And then, you know, you listen to authorities. And even with authorities, you still have to fact check them. Like, you still have to do your digging on them to see, okay, is this person trying to just push their book? Mm-hmm. Which a lot of them are. Are they trying to push their coaching program? Like, whatever. Um, so, <clears throat> you have to do that. You have to back, background check them. But at the end of the day, you have to learn your body. Mm-hmm. You have to learn what works for you. And you have to become a citizen scientist of yourself. And that's what biohacking is. It's learning your own body and what works for you. Like I know for me, if I want to sleep great at night, I'll eat white rice for dinner. I know that puts me in a coma and it does not give me energy like it does some people. It makes me go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's stuff like that. Just learning your own body and how your own body works. That's, that's the biggest thing you can do. And I know not everybody's going to go and get blood panels done and go get blood work done. I know not everybody's going to do that. Like I do because I'm a nerd. I can't help it. Um, But that's really what it is. It's just doing, like I keep saying this over and again, it's doing the best you can mm-hmm. and trying to find the most accurate information you can. And really when it comes to research, just trace the money, mm-hmm. see if it's actually independently funded or funded with an agenda. Yep. yep. Well, speaking of food, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up because uh, I am starving. Me and too. since I have not made dinner, I'm going to go out and get a giant firehouse sub the biggest one they've got with all the meats and the bread and everything huh? happy day indeed yes yes indeed shout out to our sponsor night firehouse subs <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, they're great um where can people go to find you keep up with your progress absolutely so on most social media it's just at robbie d'angelo r-b-b-y d-a-n-g-e-l-o um it's also my website robbie um but really you know through this podcast and through everything i'm doing what I'm just trying to do is just trying to empower people to live a more fulfilled life. Um, so, you know, guys, I would appreciate you just reaching out and just dropping us questions, asking us anything you know you want feedback on, um, any directions you need on where to go find more information on things. Um, but yeah, like I said, most information is found at RobbieDangel.com, and I'll point you to where to go. I'm I'm not the guru. I'm just a good curator of knowledge. I absorb a lot so I can help you find even more. Amen. And I'm going to throw out the one more reminder. Uh, the giveaway for uh, Nature Gourmet Farm ends tomorrow, July 4th. Win $75 worth of grass-fed steaks and beef. Uh, definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. And um, just go to Coastal Noise, like the page, and share one of the giveaway posts. And be sure to check out the interview with Ben Simmons from Nature's Gourmet Farm. Very informative. And then this Sunday, we'll do a um, recording and probably live stream with 
uh, Jim Pinkston's son and two of his employees, David Knorr and uh, Ryan Ebos. That's his last name. I was trying to remember it earlier. But uh, so that's all coming down the pipe. And uh, coastalnoise.com podcast they're all there for you um if you're still watching we don't know if this phone is still operational (laughs) but we'll wave goodbye to you thanks for watching and we'll see you next time love you guys have a good one fairly well brilliant thanks everybody for listening hope you enjoyed the show if you want to hear more from coastal noise Go subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube. You can put a little auto-download on so that you can catch whatever the latest episodes are. Be sure to go like the Coastal Noise Facebook page and follow on different media outlets. Of course, as always, if you want to help the show grow, please leave some comments, feedback, share an episode. It all goes to help the machine move forward. Thanks for listening again. See you next time.